please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. We're here at GeorgiaCarry.org radio this week, and we, we've got a really interesting topic to get into this week that I think is timely. One of the things that we've been talking about a lot over the past six or eight weeks has been uh, polls and statistics showing that gun ownership is down in America. And, and there's all of these polls that are coming out that says that the number of people reporting that they own a firearm is decreasing, and this should be directly tied to a less interest in firearms ownership by a younger generation. We've seen this in hunting before, as you see that as you know the older generation starts to get to the point where they're no longer able to hunt where they start to die off then we see a decrease in the, in the number of hunters because the next generation was not brought up in a hunting culture and is not interested in hunting and doesn't see a need for hunting so therefore they're not active involved in it and now we start to see this bloom of outreach of of sports fishermen and hunters and other groups trying to reach a younger generation and getting them excited about it where uh, I would say the baby boom baby boomer generation has really let down a lot of the culture of hunting and fishing in America because they haven't taken the time to bring their children up and in this activity and and ingrained them with it and so the polls that we've been seeing show that gun ownership is down gun numbers uh manufacturer up but ownership reports are down would lead one to think that younger people are just not interested in firearms well i'm going to say that the fact that the polls show you know the studies show that gun ownership is down those studies are not indicative of true gun ownership being down. There's so many people that are afraid of their firearms being confiscated that when they're asked that question, do you own firearms? You automatically say no. <laughs> so I don't think that gun ownership is really down so much as people just aren't as willing to talk about it anymore. Well, that suggests that the gun culture has become a counterculture or a subculture, that it's not something that's socially recognized or acceptable, so people are hiding it, much like uh, other countercultures were in years past, where you had to you know kind of keep it in the closet. Well, when you go to the doctor... With your kids and the doctor or nurse asks you, are there any firearms in the home? Are you one of these parents that goes, sure are. I've got them all over the place. I've got an AK-47 and an AR-15 and a, and a Glock and an Uzi and a blah, 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 blah. And, and they're hid under the couch and behind the bed. Or do you say, no, no, we don't have firearms. Because I think it's really none of your pediatrician's business, along with your optometrist, ophthalmologist, gynecologist, etc. Any of those ists. Ists. And I guess it's a new Obamacare thing. Where I, I don't think it's an Obamacare thing. I think it's the American Association of Medicine that has been pushing this idea, along with asking, you know, do you feel safe at home? And or is anybody abusing you? I mean, you they're seeing medicine is, as a... You know, they, they t I'm a woman, and they tend to ask that question a lot. Like, every time I go to the doctor... And I'm like, well, I didn't, but I do now. And they never push you any further as to why you feel safe now, but you didn't before. That's like the answer that leaves them astonished, and, and they don't know where to what to follow up with for more information. Yeah. So well, they're, they're not very well trained in this because this is more socioeconomic policy rather than medicine, and that's not where doctors need to be practicing. I mean, you know, I, I can see if a woman comes in and she's covered in bruises – 
and her crazy one-eyed angry looking old man is standing outside the door and he won't let her come in uh, to the doctor by herself and they catch him going to the bathroom and they go hey do you feel safe at home she goes "Mm -mm, help me i'm exhausted you know I can see that, but asking every woman that comes in with the sniffles if she's safe at home, that's a little overboard. But anyway, that's kind of off topic. I was surfing Facebook the other day, and I found an article that was actually linked to a video from NBC, of all places. It was shared by one of our um, GeorgiaCarry.org members, and it was referring to Gun Culture 2.0. So basically, NBC, trying to take an opportunity to make the the gun owners look like nuts interviewed young gun owners and we're talking about millennials millennials is age 18 to 35 even though i'm 34 and i don't consider myself a millennial i think that the millennials should be like 18 to 25 but that's beside the point um and these are the youngest um age group of gun owners now the younger group of people who are going and getting their permits and going to the range. And, and you see more of it in the range now when you go to the range of, of younger groups of people, people in their uh, early 20s to mid-30s. Um, a lot of women, and this is where the demographic is going. And so they interviewed a, a gentleman who is um, on N- NRA, Freestyle TV, by the name of Colian Noor. And then they interviewed a lady named Kirsten Joy Weiss. Now, Kirsten Joy Weiss is a YouTuber that does shooting tricks. She's kind of like Annie Oakley style shooting tricks on YouTube. And she's really interesting. If you go on YouTube and look her up and watch her, she's pretty amazing. And then Colleen Noor does some talk shows on NRA Freestyle TV. So they interviewed both of them. And and the answers they got, and these two young people did us very proud in the gun community. i got to give them credit. Because when were these, you know, historically gun owners were old white guys. But there's two old white guys who are anti-gun, and they're going to try to interview our pro-gun kids. And our pro-gun kids showed them that we're not crazy we're we're perfectly sane and we know what we're doing and we're able to handle this. And I was rooting for the kids and kids. I say, you know, they're younger than me. So anyway, they go and, and they do the interviews and, and the girl says, basically it's a martial art. Shooting is a martial art to her and it can be used for bad and it can be used for good. But when you have enough people trained to use it for good, then the guy that tries to use it for bad doesn't have a leg to stand on. You can take him out. So basically, she put in her own little let's carry it the school plug there without even saying it. But these groups of kids are, are basically unpolitical. How do we get them to be political? Well, I, I don't know that there's any way to make somebody be political. And in, in the end, the, you become political when you feel that your rights are threatened. And right now... Um, gun ownership is still, I mean, we're on an uptick. We're seeing groups like GeorgiaCarry.org and, and groups across the country take a, a heightened interest in protecting liberty and freedom. And so you're starting to see that this is a possibility. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, the idea of getting a concealed carry permit was pretty well foreign. You, you didn't think that that was ever going to be a possibility. If you wanted to carry a gun, you needed to go you know, become a police officer. And that was about it. But that has changed dramatically in the last 30 years. And I think you grew up in a different world than I did because I had, as a young teenager, I had a, well, step-uncle. He was my stepmother's sister's husband. And he had a, a carry permit, and he 
carried non-concealed in Virginia as long as concealed or as well as concealed in Virginia. And he would take out his handgun and show it to us and talk to us about it and talk about the licensing and everything. So it wasn't really like foreign to us so much as it was like cool. Well, in Minnesota, it was virtually impossible to get a carry permit back then. Um, now, on the other end of the spectrum, much like Alaska, long guns were not seen as being any big deal. And I remember being in, oh, uh, fourth or fifth grade. And watching the high schoolers in my my school carry long guns into the school and lock them in their locker to go pheasant hunting after class let out. And I remember, because I I went to high school in Virginia, and I remember there being kids in my school that would bring their guns and keep them in their trunks or, or the backs of their trucks behind their seats. And then they would leave on the first day of deer season right at lunchtime and go deer hunting with their dad. They would come in for the first part of the day so it didn't count as an absence. Mm-hmm. And then they'd leave and go deer hunting with their dad the first day of deer season. And, and it was not even thought of. They had the guns in the back of the truck and or hanging on a rack, even a gun rack in the back of the truck, and nobody even thought anything of it. You carry a gun to the school today as a teenager and you're getting felony charges. <laughs> well, let's, let's back up a step further talking about gun culture, okay? It's- so that's what it was like when we were kids. But if you want to go back, let's go back to the 30s, where an exhibition shooting, you know, before there was a movie theater in every small town, you would have exhibition shooters that would go from town to town and show trick shots and trick shooting. And this was something that was considered to be really an exciting thing to go see. And it was done at the schools. Well, a lot of the schools had gun clubs. And I was amazed when I first moved to, uh, to Georgia here last year. When I was working for my my job at FedEx and I was going from um, place to place delivering and I went into a local school. And at the local school, there was a picture on the wall of a young man with a a rifle. And I can't remember what kind of rifle it was. You know, that that's just a vague memory in my mind of him having the rifle. And it was an airsoft rifle. But the fact that there was a teacher helping him learn to use this airsoft rifle blew my mind because that meant that that school had shooting sports. And I haven't seen that in years, like since Columbine. It was it was an air rifle, not an airsoft rifle. It was an air rifle? Yeah, it would have been pellets. Because I've seen, I actually was visiting a church several years ago, and the, the deacon that I was introduced to told me that his daughter was on the air rifle team at, I think it was Kennesaw um, High School. So uh, we're coming up on a commercial break, folks, so stay tuned. We'll be back to talk a little bit more about gun culture right after this. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. When we took the break, we were discussing a little bit about uh, exhibition shooting around the turn of the century. And this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I have always wondered what happened to this as, as a cultural pastime. <coughs> you know, we, we'd have... <coughs> sorry. <coughs> as we look back, now... People play video games, people go to movies, people sit and watch TV all the time. And there's still a a subset of exhibition shooting that comes through all of this. You've got the video games are often war-related shooting video games, which brings in that sort of still kind of marksmanship and uh, martial arts aspect. But you also have shows on TV that do exhibition shooting. But they are a very small subset. Well, you, you think that it's gone 
you know, like you just said, well, we, we wonder what happened to that. But the same thing is, is what happened to this, what happened to that. For every generation, there's something in that generation or the generation before it where they go, wow, they used to do that. Why don't we? Or like making tin soldiers out of lead for little kids to play with? <laughs> we know where that went. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> I, we say that, but the truth is, is, you know, your six-year-old, if he's chewing on the lead figures, you got bigger problems, you know? So... This is the kid that learned to say airplane when he was 15. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there, there, there's a, a, a safety aspect that you need to be careful with very small children. But I think by the time you're six, seven, eight, you should learn not to chew on your toys. And by the time you're 11 or so, if you can't be careful with something that's hot, then you've also got other big issues. Well, we're kind of at the point with your son where I would trust him with something that's hot. He was helping with um, can the other day. Yeah, and to, there's there's hot and there's hot. Molten lead frightens Molten lead's me. a little hotter, but we're getting to the point where we can start working him into some warmer things. And mm-hmm. and if you were to go outside and reload cast. and cast your own ammo, I would I would be completely fine with him going out there and casting projectiles with you. I would see no harm in it. Yeah, because a he's supervised, <clears throat> and and you're not going to learn to do it unless somebody lets you. I when I I haven't cast since I moved to Alaska. I mean, I brought the caster with me, and it died in the fire. But I didn't have any lead in Dillingham, so I was kind of stuck with it. I'm um, sure lead in Dillingham was paying to ship by the pound. <laughs> well, that's what flat rate boxes are for. Let me tell you, <laughs> if it's under 35 pounds, it ships. And you have to use an awful lot of duct tape to keep it from bursting out the bottom of the box. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Been there, done that. Anyway, um, but before I moved to Alaska, he was four. And he would come out and watch me cast bullets then. And it was something that he and I would do. Now, I would make him stand back because I was always afraid of the lead popping. But And I wore an apron, a, a welder's apron, and I had on these welder's gloves and a, a face mask because I was terrified that if I sweated into the lead that it would explode on me. But still, you know, it's something that you just take precautions for. And, yeah, I, I don't know if I would do it with him this year, but maybe in two years I could see him you know, holding the mold and, and us pouring the lead through the sprue and cutting the sprue and dropping it into the pan. Well, I know that while I was making jelly, he was very um, helpful in stirring things and, and letting Elizabeth, who's four, sniff the the concoction. Yeah. Well, he's kind of he's a very helpful person. And I think that that goes a long way. When you involve them into doing things where they can do it themselves, they become more interested, they become helpful, and they become a more well-rounded person. This goes back to Jeffersonian principles of what is a, a well-made man. Well, we, you know, when I was growing up, my dad involved us in a lot of things. If it was, you know, working on the house, um, I mean, we helped paint the house. I was maybe five, and I was painting the foundation of the house with like oil paint, you know, mm-hmm. the oil-based yeah. outdoor paint. And, you know, it, it was just kind of our family's culture to get in there and just do, do the stuff together. So it was very natural flowing for our dad to introduce us to firearms at a young age because it was something he did, and it was something that he felt that we needed to know about even when we were older. And the thing my dad always, you know, kind of grilled into us, we would ask, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to, you know, going out to the garden and, 
picking vegetables, I would be like, do I have to? And my dad's like, you're going to be glad I taught you this someday because there's going to be a time when you need these skills. And right now is the time in my life where I I need these skills. It's not need so much as want. I realized one day that all the stuff that my dad taught me was just freaking great. Want to pick blackberries, want to get chicken bites. Oh, I'm covered in chiggers. The the children and I picked blackberries and I got covered in chiggers. Well, not not Liz and I did fine. Poor me and John. (laughs) Me and John are are both itching thanks to the chiggers. And and I have done research and I can't figure out whether I have bugs under my skin or whether they just bit me because there's a lot of conflicting information on the internet. And so if, if you guys have any suggestions about chigger bites, be, feel free to email me up on us Facebook at, and at radio <laughs> at georgiacarry.org and let us know your home remedies for these pests. Anyway, um, what I was saying is that, you know, there was a time when exhibition shooting was done at schools. And this was, you know, the high height of the Guinness Book of World Records. You know, how many one-by-one-inch cube blocks of wood can you shoot out of the air in five hours? And they would sit there and they'd have one guy who was tossing blocks in the air one after the other fast as he could and the other guy had a rifle and was shooting him out of the air now is this the precursor to skeet shooting before no, they, they did skeet too but this was this was a defined one inch by one inch cube wood target that was had been prescribed as an aerial target for speed shooting and accuracy and so you'd have the the one guy stand behind him and they would do this over and over and there's this wonderful picture of the guy who had had set the world record i think it was in the 20s and he has this giant mountain of one inch by one inch cubes of wood standing next to him. I mean, it's like four times taller than he is of all that he had shot over an eight-hour day setting the world record. And this was considered to be normal. I mean, this was something that people turned out to see, and it was exciting, and there was no big deal. There was no stigma about gun ownership or gun competitions. So what's created the stigma now? Well, um, I, I don't know, but it goes back further. I mean, you when you get to the 1800s, it was very common for... You know, uh, children to be given a gun in, early in life for hunting purposes, but it wasn't just for hunting. They weren't expected. The dad did not give his 10, 11, 12 year old son a rifle hoping that he would bring home all the meat for the family. It was fun. It was considered to be something that was not only profitable, to, a skill to learn that would be necessary, but it was enjoyable. And that's something that we have lost out on is we see guns as being, you know, a defensive tool. I hear that all the time. You know, my Glock is a tool. Okay, well. You're a tool, too. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to go there. I did. I did. I was was thinking it. Well, you know, it's more than that. It should be fun. It should be enjoyable. It should be a pleasant pastime. And and it was a pleasant pastime for us. You know, my dad got us BB guns at a pretty young age. And it was line the, the cans up and, and shoot them and see who can shoot them off of the pose. Why why did, is there a sergeant at arms in the U.S. Congress? Because somebody needed to make sure that everybody behaved themselves on the on the Congress floor with their firearms? They collected the firearms and gave them back after because of the heated debates. Why were they carrying their firearms to Congress? Because it wasn't a big deal back then. Because they carried them everywhere. They and, even took them to the bathroom with them. And, and well, everyone who concealed carries does that today. <laughs> I do public restrooms, maybe not at home. So, but when whenever there was a meeting or gathering of, of men in the community, it was almost guaranteed that there would be a shooting competition breaking out. There and would now, always be boasting rights. And now our city councils are trying to make sure that guns don't come into their meetings. Yeah. It's craziness. Well, you know, the, that, the stereotype from Hollywood is much different. There, You would have... You know, I can hear 
Davy Crockett getting in with a group of people, and then they start bragging on what he can shoot, and, and he's saying, well, it's not that big a deal, but yeah, I can shoot this or that, and next thing you know, they're outside with a stump and out at 50 paces taking in a shot. Um, the Winchester 73, the movie starts off with a shooting competition to win a rifle, and that's really what the reality was. The way it's portrayed in Tombstone is that these guys are walking around with their guns, and when they get offended over cards, they're pulling guns and shooting each other left and right. Well, the truth is, and that that stereotype, the the tombstone, you're going to get mad at the card table and shoot somebody stereotype prevails. Because what do we hear when when we start talking about carrying guns in restaurants? What's what's the refrain? Man, they're going to get mad if I bring them the wrong wings and shoot me. And see, there's also the whole thing about the schools. Remember, some idiot said, well... This is going to force the teachers to give the kids better grades because if they're carrying guns, the teachers are going to be afraid to give them the grade they really earn because they're going to be afraid the kid will shoot, shoot them. them yeah. And that's just baloney. It's, it's, it's all propaganda. And I'm so sick of the anti-gun propaganda. I could gag on it. I don't know. I see it everywhere. What, what if we just turn this, this same logic around to cars? Well, shoot, if we let kids start driving their own cars to school, if we don't make them take the bus, then when they don't get the good grade, they're going to run the teacher over when he comes out of the building. Well, you know, people, people who understand the culture behind automobiles see it as something that brings people together, that they work on, that they can take pride of ownership in, that they can you know, modify and create a, a better car for themselves, that it's a status symbol. None of this comes into, well, you only bought that car to run people over. But with guns, where it's the exact same thing, you know, modification, I, status, uh, pride of ownership, you only bought it to kill somebody. I hate it, and I hear it. You know, you, oh, you carry that gun. You know, I have deleted family and blocked them off Facebook because of... I don't know why you need that gun, that gun or you trying to kill somebody. You don't need to kill anybody. Well, I'm not planning on killing anybody, but I'd like to be able to protect myself in the event that somebody decides to kill me. Mm-hmm. And the likelihood of a criminal trying to kill me is way higher than me and- wanting to kill somebody. Now, here's the thing. Nobody ever looks at the guy at the Ford dealership and goes, you're only going to buy this car so you can drink and drive, right? Why is that? I, but I have a right to buy a gun they don't have a right to buy a car it's kind of a privilege to buy a car so if you're not going to harass somebody about their privilege leave me alone about my rights let's try this i mean let's say that you decided not to carry your gun and what if somebody challenged you to a shooting competition you'd be just completely out of luck at that moment i guess you'd be loser by default right so folks we'll be back in just a minute after these commercials to talk a little bit more about gun culture in america Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. So I think one of the things that we've really been fleshing out in this discussion today is that gun culture goes back all the way to, you know, 1650, and that all throughout the ages, as soon as firearms became prevalent and cheap enough to become a part of a family household, they were something that was bequeathed to the children. Yeah. I I think you're right. And and the firearms were passed down generation to generation. You know, that's how family heirlooms, guns have become family heirlooms. And, and, you know, you have people here. You take your first deer with great grandpa's 30-30. Or great great grandpa's 30-30. And I don't know how long the 30-30's been around. I may be a little overestimating that. Well, I don't know. As quick as people have kids nowadays, it could happen. Yeah, well, (laughs) when 30-year-olds get their senior discounts, what can you say? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. 
um, you know, I've I've noticed the recent um, shift, and it's it's not such a paradigm shift so much as just a a shift of of people um, who own. It's not the way people look at it. Still, it's still frowned on, kind of in society. I don't know why. I wish people would just put on their happy faces. I'm going to argue with you that it has not shifted at all. That it's the same now as it was in 1815 and 1915 and 1715. I'm going to argue back and say yes, it has because you have more women armed now than you ever have before in history, at least. From what I can tell. In certain social settings, women were not supposed to be armed, but in the home and on the frontier and where people worked daily for a living, it, it was, was important to it be was able to all, kill that bear that was getting ready to eat your kids, and I get that. And and shoot the rabbits in the garden so you'd have stew for the dinner, and that was no big deal. I don't think that it's shifted. I think that what happened was that there came an idea in the 60s that we need to disarm this country, and that idea has taken hold and the roots of the people who set the agenda for the news and that that has tried to create a negative perception of what has been a constant American heritage. Well, you know, the belief right now among most of the older generation of gun owners is that the the younger generation isn't responsible enough to handle firearms. And I've noticed that. And I want to challenge all of our listeners that when you go to the range or when you go to a, a GCO meeting even, and you see those millennials there. With zombie targets. With zombie targets. Or you see them at the range. If, you, if you're if you not at a GCO meeting, if you see them at a range, go to them and talk to them and reach out to them and, and try to get them involved in GCO. And offer to, them, offer to let them shoot your gun. What's the harm? You're right there in the range. It's a safe situation. It's it's a safe setting. I don't see any harm in letting them shoot your gun. And talk to them about what they're interested in and, and what got them interested in and firearms. If, if your gun is so boring they don't want to shoot it, buy a new gun. And that'll make the people that are in the range very happy. But my point is, if if you talk to these kids and we start recruiting this younger demographic into GCO then we're not 8,000 strong, then we're ten or 12,000 strong. And it'll make a heck of a difference when we're calling our legislators. Well, what's going to make a heck of a difference is where is GCO going to be in 25 years? I, I, know, I know Jerry Henry will still be the executive director <laughs> in 2070. But other than that, a lot of us are getting to the age now where we're not going to be able to be as active. And we need to reach out to the younger generation, and, and we're going to have to pass the flame. And their parents aren't doing it. So who's no, their going parents to are not. It? Who is going to do it? They need some kind of mentor, mentor. that is a, a gun enthusiast who understands the Second Amendment and and loves gun sports. Who's willing to say this is not a, a bad thing. You're doing something great, and you can fight for your rights. And this is how you do it. You get involved. I think that gun owners kind of fall into a couple of different categories, and the one that we seem to always focus on is the I'm afraid of getting shot, I have to defend myself category. But there are so much more. And when you said gun sports, it sparked something. Because, my goodness, you know, one of the big criticisms I hear is, well, we do these GCO things and we never shoot. We never see anybody shooting. You need to get out and shoot. And you don't need to go sit on a static range and shoot at a target at 50 yards and try to get the smallest group possible. You also do need not, not need to stand on the side of the interstate and shoot at moving cars. We discourage that. <laughs> But get into some real sports. Get into and there Cowboy are action all shooting. Over. Shoot, shoot a bowling pin match where the target where close enough is good enough. There's a local range that does a, a 
Bowling Pin There's Mash several. on Mondays. Um, Georgia Firing Line, oh. who are wonderful people and have GCO bulletins out that you can join there and sign up. Fantastic group of guys there. Uh, I encourage everybody who is in the north metro area of Atlanta to swing by. They're on, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Barrett Parkway and Highway 5, and there's a big shopping center right there. You can swing in. They have a nice range. They have guns that you can rent. They have a good selection of firearms. And, and just the only thing I ask is if you go there and you see the Ruger lever action and 44 Magnum that my friend Mark wants to buy, just leave it alone. Get something else. <laughs> Let him have his chance to, to scrape up his money to get that Or one. you could always, like, pay for it and leave it there for him as a gift. I'm sure he'd be appreciative. <laughs> I'm, yeah, kidding. Just, I'm, just, I'm kidding. Just say, I'm buying the lever action Ruger for Mark, and when next time he comes in, because he's got about 8 million range credit hours, just let him have it. There we go. You know, um, when I when I was watching the video that they had on NBC, it really bothered me that the media, and, and I'm going to call out uh, Lauer and Farrow, the, the two gentlemen that did this. By the way, you really need to, to read Will uh, Farrell's book uh, called Matt Lauer Can Suck It. It was a fantastic novel. I saw it appear in one of his movies. Okay, well, I'm going to continue with my statement. Um, I don't understand why they feel like they need to, like, propagate the propaganda that that is already floating around bad enough as is it's preposterous it is preposterous but, th- but what they're basically trying to make the world believe is that the most law-abiding segment of society and and your legal gun owners are in fact the most law-abiding segment of society to my right in this recording studio right here is a defense attorney a very reasonably priced defense attorney. And how many times do you get hired by members of GCO to represent them? It's a pretty rare occasion, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They really need to hire me more. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But um, I'm saying we don't have crime issues with the people that are legal gun owners. The the problems come from gang violence and drug related crime and, and those kind of issues. And so they can't take us, the law abiding gun owning citizens and dump us in with gang bangers. That's not fair, but that's what the media tries to do. And so we've got to try to fight that stereotype with positive voices. And these two kids that did this interview were very positive voices. And I have to give them some applause on that. And it's an important thing because we, we spend way too much time focusing on the negative. And here we have a couple of young ambassadors. And I, I believe the, the young lady is actually has a YouTube channel where she does exhibition shooting like we've been talking about all day. That's what I talked about at the very beginning. I mentioned her YouTube channel where you can go on and watch her videos. Mm-hmm. And she does some pretty awesome things. She does this card trick where she throws the cards up in the air and shoots through the very center of them. I don't know how she has aim like that, but I wish she'd teach me some of that because... Wow. <laughs> well, it's just practice, practice, practice. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to. And there there used to be a segment on one of the TV shows called um, Impossible Shots where they would do things like light a match with a bullet. And, you know, they would go out there and, and they'd show you a couple of misses and then you'd do it and you didn't see the 800 edit out while they got the, the trick perfected. And some of it is sleight of hand. I mean, if you think about the size of a large bullet diameter, you've got almost a half inch and you're trying to cut a card in half. Well, as long as you're within a one full inch of that card, either direction, you're going to cut it in half. So that's only one minute of angle. So if you did it at 100 yards, most rifles could pull that off. But when you do it at at 15 feet, every handgun should be able to. Um, 
not real, real, real close of a marksman with my handgun. I could, I could defend myself with it if necessary, but I grew up with rifles. And so when it comes to the rifle, I, I'm on target every time, like right in the very center. I'm great. I see some young ladies that I was watching a video the other day on YouTube and this young lady was able to take a handgun at, at some pretty impressive distances and, and put a, a bullet right through the center of a target. And I was like, man, I need some more practice. <laughs> well, way way back in the day when I could see better, I remember taking a, a high quality twenty two pistol and practicing with it until I could repeatedly, not every time, but repeatedly hit an 8-ounce coffee cup at a 100-yard berm. I mean, it, it just takes time and practice and a little bit of, of patience to get to that point. Well, all you need is a little patience. So I was um, talking about the NRA channel. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this? I have not. Um, the NRA channel has some pretty interesting things on it. It's called uh, NRA Freestyle TV. And they have Colin Knorr, which was one of the gentlemen that was interviewed on NBC. And he does a, a couple of talk shows on there with a co-host named Amy Robbins. And they do that on, like, Sunday. And they talk about fashion, pulp culture, firearms, and all kinds of stuff. Then they have a, a show called Media Lab, and they have a, a Navy SEAL that was the Navy SEAL for 12 years. His name is Dom Rezo, and he takes questions about TV shows and movies and dissects them to see what is true to life and what's far-fetched folly when it comes to the gun scenes and movies. Nothing like getting shot with a 12-gauge so, and flying backwards to the air. He's like Mythbusters of, of Westerns. I mean, that's awesome. And what gun did Al Pacino use in Heat? What gun, really? I have no idea. Yeah, well, that was a, I have a no idea. big debate for many years. Lots of freeze-framing of VHS to try to figure it out. Who shot first? <laughs> Han Solo did. I'll take your word for it. They have NRA Sharp, which is um, a show that premiered last year. And it's supposed to be a talk about where adventure style and culture collide when it comes to guns. So I think that they've got a lot of interesting television shows, like reality TV shows for millennials. You know what I used to enjoy was Gun Stories with Joe Montaigne. I thought that was a really great show to where you got a lot of history. Folks, we're coming up on a commercial break, so we'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. So we're back, and I just want to reach out to everyone and remind them that if you're not a member of GeorgiaCarry.org, it's really easy to become a member. You can go to your local ranger ranges. There's a lot of ranges in the area that have membership forms, and you can just sign up there. You can also go to GeorgiaCarry.org webpage and sign up for membership there. Uh, you can go to local festivals and fairs. We always have booths set up at those, and, and you can sign up. As well as on our Facebook pages, you can find your local chapter meetings, and you can sign up there as well. You can also contact Doug and I via radio at georgiacarry.org. You can send us any questions you'd like to have answered or any comments about the show, and we would be glad to um, take 
topics if there's something you'd like us to address. Also, feel free to check out my personal webpage at kings, that's K-I-N-G-S, lawoffice.net if you have any legal questions or looking for a trust. Shameless plug there. Um, also, you can contact us on our web. Um, not web page, Facebook page, georgiacarry.org radio. Go on there and see what we're discussing. Find links to old shows as long as make comments as well. Um, I'm getting ready to address the good, the bad, and the ugly this week. And I've got some pretty interesting good, bad, and ugly. Are you ready? I am ready for this. So the good is about some CNN reporters. I, I found this and it just kind of amazed me. We have Lynn Russell. And um, her husband, Chuck DeCaro, and they were both former CNN reporters. I think one of them was a anchor and the other was a reporter. But um, Lynn Russell thanks the right to keep and bear arms for keeping her and her husband alive during an armed robbery on June 30th. Did, did you hear about I this? I did. I did. And there's been quite a bit of uproar over it. There was a standoff that led left the... Um, gentleman dead and and DeCaro got shot three times um Russell wasn't injured but her husband DeCaro because he was carrying was able to take down the robber with without too much a problem he's okay by the way after being shot three times so this is kind of a, a man bites dog story not because of a concealed weapon stopping a crime or because somebody was was responsible in the situation but because of CNN's kind of well-known stance as being an anti-gun platform yeah well I have I'm going to use her quote and we're going to abbreviate a word out of it because I'm not, I think it's one of those seven words you're not allowed to say on the television. Thank radio. you, George Carlin. But um, Mrs. Russell says, if you don't want to carry, please don't. But then shut the F up about it. Make your own decisions. <laughs> and I have to say that's kind of how I feel about it. If you don't want to carry a gun, you don't have to. Just don't talk to me about it because I really don't want to hear your junk. So she says... That the government should stop arguing about gun control and pass a law that states if you committed a violent crime, you can't get a gun permit. Simple law. I think we have. Yep. The problem here is we pass the laws and the criminals don't abide by them. I, I guess that's by definition what makes them criminals. At the same time, we need to stop trying to punish our honest gun owners. So... Then we're going to go to bad. And, okay. and bad is bad because it's one of my favorite burger joints. And I almost... Cookout? No, no. Cookout does not compare to Texas-based Whataburger. And I've this one goes out to Jerry one. Henry because I know that Jerry Henry has probably had his fair share of Whataburger. But Water Whataburger last week that stated that they would prefer their customers not openly carry firearms. So Whataburger was founded in Corpus Christi in 1950, and they have 780 locations from South Arizona to Florida. I did not know there was Whataburger in Florida. The next time we go to Florida, I'm giving you a burger that you'll you'll no other burger will ever compare. But we're not going to open the carry. We're just going to go through the drive-thru and get out of there because I'm not sitting in their restaurant and being a target. So anyway. You very rarely open carry anyway, Jess. I know. I concealed. I mean, concealed is concealed. When, when I carry... I carry everywhere I want to go, even if it may be a mom's demand action meeting or whatever. And I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> right? Right. So, you know, Whataburger says, we don't want people to openly carry firearms, but you can conceal one and bring it in. 
And I go, you know, I don't have a problem with people in Texas openly carrying their firearms. That that creates a safer environment for me to sit in and, and eat my f- burger and onion rings. I'm cool with that. So anyway, the ugly is coming from the Sacramento Bee, which is the newspaper for Sacramento, California. And they're reporting that former California state senator... Leland Yee. Now, I remember him. He is very anti-gun. He is. He's a gun control advocate, and the Brady campaign has rated him A+. He pled guilty to weapons-related racketeering charges. In That's an what organi- we call an A-plus felony there. In an organized crime case, and now faces 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. So basically... So he's running illegal guns, and he's making the guns illegal, so no one else can sell the guns legally, so he has no competition. Right. And we call Sounds that... Sounds like a plan to me. We call that either... Horrible criminal behavior or good thinking. I'm not good sure. Good business practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you eliminate your competition through better laws. Talk about hypocrisy, though. I mean, this is like the epitome of hypocrisy. Well, don't, don't, and I say if you're not going to be part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Don't, don't politicians have to take the hypocritic oath? Wow. Yeah, I thought it was the Hippocratic oath. Well, that's but, doctors. Okay. So they noted that in 2012, Yee said, no one will convince me it's anything other than a joke to say that having multiple clips and semi-automatic weapons that can shoot 100 or more bullets at a time is necessary in this state or in this country. It's ridiculous. However, during his court hearing on Wednesday, Yee acknowledged offering to facilitate a multi-million dollar arms deal for shoulder-fired missiles and automatic weapons with a source tied to Muslim rebel groups in the philippines so he is trying to arm the people that want to kill us with weapons we're not allowed to have again just good business sense it's not good business sense i'm going to tell you what the what the semi-automatic gun with a clip that holds over 10 rounds why do they keep wanting to use the word clip there's very few guns that use a clip and this just it shows how ignorant they are about firearms. They want to talk about guns and clips. Maybe they're just, and I just have wanna, a thing about M1 grants. I just want to wrap my hands around their throat and twist real tight and say, it's a magazine, moron. <laughs> but really. What's time a magazine? <laughs> anyway. It's pretty ugly that he's the one that wants to control our firearms rights and then give the same firearms we're not allowed to to people that want to kill us that is pretty ugly well you know it softens the target here that makes it a more inviting atmosphere maybe you can sell more weapons well i hope during his 20 years in prison he finds himself a cellmate that that is both pro-gun and a a little gay (laughs) just saying (laughs) there's always a a chance for everyone to find true love (laughs) oh well True love. It, it does exist. Anyway, that's the, the good and the bad and the ugly this week. And we will have another edition of that next week. So, folks, I, I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. I would like to hear some of your stories about gun culture. If, if you have anything that you did as a kid or you're teaching your kids or your grandfather taught you or your grandfather told you that he used to do when he was a child. I mean, let's get some good old you know Elmer Keith style turn of the century stories rolling in here that we could put up on our Facebook page and talk about and maybe next week's show. So 
reach out to us, like Jesse said. Uh, send us an email. Contact us on Facebook. Be in touch because we want to hear what your your topic suggestions are, who you'd like to hear on the air. I know that we uh, reached out to former President Ed Stone a couple weeks ago, and we're going to work real hard to get him on the show soon. Uh, also, we're going to look at maybe getting another board member in very quickly to have a, a discussion about what's going on now as we come up to convention time. Remember, the convention is coming up next month. Sign up now. Get your tickets early so that they're cheap and, and you can still get a hotel room. And while we're at it, let's say if you are listening online and you'd like to hear georgiacarry.org radio on your local radio station, contact your radio station and talk with the, the programming manager or the, the station manager and say, hey, I'm a listener to georgiacarry.org radio, and I'd like for you to carry this show. And have them contact us at radio at georgiacarry.org. We would love to be on your local radio station. And let us know that you reached out to them and who you talked to so that we can reach out as well on our end to make sure that this happens. Because the more stations we get, the more people we can reach, and the more that we can start to counterbalance this, this culture of Matt Lauer and, and the anti-gun media. Well, the more people hear our voice, and I'm not talking about mine and Doug's, but I'm talking about the gun ownership voice in general, the more they hear the sane gun owners and and the legal gun owners and the the normal people that own firearms talk, the more they're going to be able to differentiate between us and the, the criminal element that the media tries to associate us with. So we have to stand up to that. Absolutely. So listen again next week, folks. We'll be here same bat time, same bat channel. Hope you have a good week. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8, right here on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.